The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I wanted to take a little bit of time right now before our last sitting to check in and see if there's any questions, comments, observations that you have about the practice, about what you're experiencing. I was wondering if there's any downside to um, actually thinking of something that you know has a tendency to grab you and take you away, specifically so that you can watch the process. Well, so in terms of, you know, if there's something that tends to be very sticky, um, the downside is that we tend to get caught in it. And so if you're going to bring up something in particular, this sounds like bringing something up in your mind to, to explore, like bringing up a, a scenario. Fantasy or something that I know I like to... Yeah. Sort of I mean, actually, that can, be, well. that can be um, helpful sometimes if, if there is something that's very sticky to consciously bring it up at a time when you have a little more space. You know, you might... This is a, a useful daily life practice tool, actually, if there's a scenario or situation in life where something comes up and things happen so fast that you feel like you don't have the bandwidth to really be mindful in that moment. Um, you can... Later in the day, perhaps, find a time where you can sit down, be settled, and um, bring up that scenario in your mind. This is using reflection, and so you can bring up that scenario in your mind just enough to kind of recreate the, the, the image in your mind, image or thoughts, you know, just kind of what, what was happening, what were people saying, what was my response. Maybe, you know, 15, 20 seconds of reflection on the scenario and then let go of the reflection and feel into what's been created in the body in that moment. And so, you know, in that time afterwards, you might have a little more capacity to let it go, you know, to, to, to set the thoughts aside and just feel into the dynamic uh, set of things going on in the body and mind around it. And so, you know, that can be a very helpful tool to begin to get familiar with the things that rapidly take us away in daily life. The downside is that, you know, we can get caught by them, and yet if you're doing it consciously, you can monitor that for yourself. Is this too much? Do I need to, like, touch into this for a minute and then stop, come back to the breath, open my eyes, you know, do, do something very consciously to, uh, to settle the mind down, to ground the attention. I'd suggest if you were going to do something like that, you have a pretty clear sense of something that will help you if you get pulled into it. You know, experience of sensations of hands or going to hearing or going to the breath, something that will ground you again. Um, so that's the, that's the downside is that we can tend to get caught in it again. If you find in doing that kind of an exploration that you sit down, it's like, okay, I'm going to take 20 minutes to reflect on this. And an hour later, you are lost in the thoughts around that. Maybe, maybe you need to try it in a, in a shorter way. You know, say, let's do five minutes of it, set a bell, see if that works. So um, you know, playing with it. 
but it can be very helpful to give us the tools um, to recognize and get familiar with the areas of reactivity in our daily lives to bring things up like that. Thank you. Yeah, in the back. (laughs) Jim. Um, I'd like you to say a little bit about um, the the two of them and how you can use them. So the two different methods. So in the last... Um, By the two different methods, you mean focused awareness yes. or open awareness? Yes. Okay, there's more than two methods. So right. <laughs> Those, <laughs> sorry, those two. <laughs> so, um, for example, um, I can see more the open awareness in the daily life practice and when you're not on the cushion. And I can see it also a value on the cushion. But what happened... I, I, had, I had thoughts come up... I had thoughts come up about um, why do I have cold air blowing on me? And then I explored a little about whether it was coming from straight above me. So I got a little stuck on cold air. Um, So I switched to focus to my breathing, essentially to move me off that. Uh So it sounds like you were having a reaction to the cold air. Yes. And you probably didn't notice the reaction. Consciously um, recognizing, oh, there's cold air and I don't like it. Yeah, or no, I did, the I, d- or I did the I don't like it. Okay. And I could easily see how you could get into that in all kind of, vers- of aversive situations, as you said. So, the, 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 um, again, we each have to find our own way with this practice. Um, what I have found, I mean, if... If you have a skill in the, um, the focused practice, you've, you've, you've practiced that a lot, what I found helpful is to give this practice a chance to see. Because it's what, what often will happen, for instance, in that situation of, oh, there's, there's cold air, I don't like it. And then basically we don't like the experience of feeling the aversion. And so because we don't like the feeling of aversion, we decide to pick something more pleasant to pay attention to, essentially motivating our action out of aversion, but not noticing it because our minds are kind of overlaying it with this idea of, oh, I should really be you know, more focused here, so I will, I will come to my breath or something, but not really seeing that there's a motivating force of not liking the experience that's taking us away from it. So being willing in, a, in effect to explore what's happening, why? I mean, it's fine to go to something like a focused practice, but from this perspective of practice, you want to know why. You want to understand the motivation that's driving that or that's encouraging that. It might be out of compassion. It might be compassion. It might be wisdom pointing you to that uh, more focused practice. It also can be aversion or wanting. Wanting the mind to be more settled, wanting, wanting some idea of what we think should be happening, uh, feeling a, 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 a doubt in... This one was big for me, actually, in, in this practice as I first started learning it. It's like, how can this possibly lead to insight? It's way too easy. How can this possibly, it's, 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 just, it's just meeting what's happening, what's obvious. How can it possibly go deep enough to really open the mind and heart? And so 
um, it, took, it took a leap of faith for me around hearing my teacher say, trust, keep exploring, keep practicing, keep observing, until I really began to understand the depth that this practice can also go to. So, yes, there are times when it can be helpful to move between the two practices, but really understand the, the, the motivation, you know, what, what's happening there. Thank you. Um, I really enjoy this practice a lot. I have a question about the walking meditation. So... Um, as I was doing the walking meditation, I noticed that um, I have a tendency to be pulled both from a seeing and hearing and smell from all senses, I, I, I guess, to be pulled to pleasant experiences. So in the sense, like I noticed everything that was absolutely beautiful in the neighborhood. And I'm just going from one flower to one house to the next flower to, you know, this is kind of the experience. And if I go on a hike, it's the same thing. And I'm wondering, is it wrong? Uh, or does it go in the direction of this practice you're suggesting? So, so um, what you are noticing is what your mind is doing. Your mind is drawn to pleasant experience. Um, the, 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 it's not wrong to notice what the mind is doing. What's helpful is to begin to explore What's going on there? You know, what, what, what's, what's happening there? Um, and to, to simply just notice, oh, look at that. You know, when I first started this kind of practice, this open awareness practice, my teacher said, just, you know, land on each thing. You know, just what, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And um, he called it kind of a choiceless awareness practice. And I don't tend to call it choiceless awareness for just this reason. Um, because, you know, after we did this for, say, five minutes or so, I said, well, every single thing that my mind landed on was unpleasant. I said, this cannot possibly be choiceless because I know that there's a mixture of experience happening out there, and yet my mind was going for the unpleasant, you know. And he just smiled, you know. It's, it's, um, it, this is learning something about the orientation of the mind that it tends to be drawn to one direction or another. My, my um, habitual tendency of mind tends to be aversion, tends to be um, basically the, the motivation behind the pattern, the, the habitual pattern of my mind is search out the unpleasant and get rid of it so that you'll be okay. Perhaps your mind has more search out the pleasant so that it will be okay. So just noticing this is the this I think is this the only happens when I walk. Uh-huh. Okay. So so, so that's the reason that, why I really enjoy hiking a lot. Yeah. So so noticing the different conditions maybe in a different situation you find that there's a different pattern. So just familiarize, familiarize yourself with the patterns of your mind, but don't just leave it there. It's kind of like, "Huh, that's interesting. What's happening there?" And you don't have to try to figure it out. It's much more just kind of hang out in the realm of just watching. You know, you're taking a walk and seeing, oh, going to Pleasant, going to Pleasant, going to Pleasant, going to Pleasant. You might begin to see some of the underlying patterns that are um, in play as that happens. So you don't have to change it. 
just be curious about it. Asking myself, oh, do I have to look for something unpleasant? No, no, <laughs> you do not at? have to look for something unpleasant. <laughs> some some <laughs> trash on the floor, and I was like, oh, I can't look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have to look for anything unpleasant. But notice that's interesting, though, right? I mean, to see, oh, do I need to look for something unpleasant, and then looking for it, and then feeling the aversion there. It's like that's interesting too to see that. So yeah, I mean, um, just notice. The, the the practice deepens through being willing to be aware of what the mind is doing and not just leaving it there, but checking in our relationship. So you're noticing pleasant. You're noticing that. What's your relationship to that? Probably it's enjoyment. Okay, so know the enjoyment. Know the enjoyment. And then maybe something will happen. You know, if something happens where you cannot control what you're noticing, and then you feel the absence of the enjoyment. What happens there? So it's just watching your mind, watching what, what's happening. Yeah. Um, who has a mic? Great. <coughs> no, you need to hit the button. I have a follow-up to his question. Okay, so you have, so you sit and you bring up something and, you know, and, it, and then you wait to see what effect it has. And then do you use the same steps that you've described where you, you just, you relax, you observe, you allow and you learn? You use those steps at yes. that point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just keep, keep noticing. And um, if it gets difficult, you may need to bring in some of the other tools, like set it aside, come to the breath, or um, notice that you tend to focus. It's like, you know, you're sitting there, you're thinking about this conversation, and you don't actually have to wait very long for a response to happen. It'll happen pretty quickly as you bring up something in your mind that's triggering. And so you may notice a, a strong emotion happening, and you might notice that the attention kind of collapses onto that, so consciously broadening the attention. So some of the other tools that we've talked about also may be particularly helpful when you're working with a charged emotion. Um, another thing that can be interesting there is to bring in, and this is a, a tool I haven't mentioned so much in terms of working with difficulty, um, I haven't mentioned it at least today. And that is using, using wisdom, using uh, recognitions or understandings that may help us to actually meet something. So for instance, while you feel something arising like anger or something, you could uh, drop in a wisdom reflection like this is impermanent this is not who I am this is just something that's arising in the present moment so understanding the conditioned nature of our experience in fact it's so clear in that scenario you brought in a thought and the emotion arose you get to see the conditioned nature of that emotion very clearly and so we can bring in wisdom thoughts Three key areas of wisdom the Buddha pointed to. Impermanent, unreliable, not me, not mine. Basically a conditioned 
phenomenon. This is the, the, the phrase that Saito Utejaniya recommended in this, for this reflection that I actually found very resonant was, this is nature. And for me, that's kind of like an expression of what's happening right now has its conditions. It's coming up right now. It's like a tree that's growing. That tree has been watered in the past. That tree has been, the seed was planted, the, the, got the conditions to grow. And here it is. Of course this tree is growing here right now. Of course this state is arising right now. Kind of like a reminder, it's, it's a recognition. Yeah, this, this, um, this state is arising right now because of that condition of that event, but also perhaps because of ways that uh, I was habituated when I was a child. And so reminding myself, this is nature. This is just conditions. Of course this emotion is arising right now. To me, that has helped to kind of take some of the, taking it personally out of it. It's like, oh, it's just conditions. Okay, right, it's conditions. Maybe I can just hang out with this. So sometimes when there's something difficult, we can also use wisdom to help us to be a little more balanced. Just bringing in the thoughts, just bringing in wisdom thoughts to help us to meet that experience. And sometimes the the wisdom reflections we use, um, initially it may be borrowed wisdom. It may be, you know, you know kind of at the uh, intellectual level that everything is impermanent. But sure feels like this one's permanent right now. <laughs> you know, so you, you, know, you know intellectually it's impermanent, but, you know, you're not living in that space. But still, to just, like, remind yourself, right, this is impermanent. This is a mind state. It will pass. Sometimes it can be helpful to, in terms of these kinds of wisdom reflections, finding language that really resonates for you. Um, the this is nature one really resonated for me for some reason. But, you know, there are other, other ways to frame it. It's like just causes and conditions or not me, not mine, not who I am, um, impermanence. This is just something happening right now. It will pass. You know, language that resonates for you around wisdom um, is usually more potent um, and sometimes when we have insights, when we have recognitions around impermanence, or, or any of the insights, when we have recognitions around any of the insights, sometimes it comes with an expression. Um, I had a, one recognition around um, a pattern of self-hatred, where I was just watching the pattern arise and watching, you know, everything around it. And at some point, the mind just clearly saw this is simply a thought that's arising in the mind. And the expression of the mind was, this is just a thought. This is just a thought. It has no inherent reality other than what the mind gives it. And so this is just a thought. That reflection, because it was so tied to the insight in that moment, that reflection became a very powerful wisdom reminder for me. And so sometimes using wisdom, you know, so that's another tool to bring in, using wisdom. Yeah, Yeah, I I guess just just reporting out a little bit, like 
the um, so I suppose it kind of reminded me of just like watching my kids or telling my kids what to do. <laughs> you know, it's like when I'm at the playground, I just watch them, right? That's kind of like, okay, he's on the ladder, he's safe, kind of. Um, that's a that's, great analogy. That's a really great instead analogy. Of just like, get off now, <laughs> which I do too, which I feel like is most, more the focus, the awareness. <laughs> so just a couple of things. Um, it, uh, there's a doubt within me because I, what I'm, Maybe I'm, I don't have to investigate this more, but like, am I aware? I don't even know. Like, cause I have a tendency to space out if I allow myself to, yeah. but the doing focused awareness, if I'm like breath and there's this strain or, you know, then I know that I'm in it. Uh-huh. Right. And then, so when we do this practice, it's a little bit scarier for me because like, am I in it right now? Because I'm not strain. you know, it's not a, always a like one, two, you know, the counting. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's not always super strain, but that what I'm realizing is the strain is like, how do I know when I'm aware? You know, am I really aware? Or am I spacing out? How light is this? Because it's so different for me yeah. from the focused awareness. And then the inquiries that I've been using kind of aware, question mark, of what? Question mark. And then the other thing is, what's what modality is it, right? And then... um and then also seeing if it's like, oh, I'm become, it's a soliloquy. I'm a, it's been like a couple minutes I've been doing this, I guess, you know, or it's a movie. So, th- And I'm also hearing the other question of what's the relationship to this? Is there a version? And so I'm just, and the other thing I'm, this is just a lot, the other thing I'm noticing too is when I do alert, I was doing it, the questioning, like maybe every five, ten seconds, I don't know. And then I found that kind of made my, the attention, uh, the thing that I was tracking with my attention flit more and it started to, it was like, it became a little bit, it was it was kind of getting in the way, so I slowed it down a little bit and switched the periodicity of the, the questioning. But then that's where the doubt came in. I was like, am I doing this or what's going on, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, this I, is not uncommon yeah. <laughs> in a switch from a focused practice to to this kind of open practice. The the questioning, am I really aware? What is awareness anyway? It's it's confusing, and so some of it is just you know just trusting in in effect that it does take time to get familiar with what actually is this awareness, without having something extra to do. You know, so often we have this idea of when. How I know I'm aware is that I'm picking what to pay attention to. We know that because we've picked. And that's a little bit extra. You know, it's a little bit, it's, it's not the purity of mindfulness, actually. It's got mindfulness plus that choice. And so it's not bad. It's, it's not bad to do that. But it isn't just the pure mindfulness. It's the mindfulness plus the attention. And so when we use that as our... Um, our sign that we're aware that we are picking what to pay attention to, then when we let go of picking, it, it kind of naturally begins to feel a little bit, am I really aware here? <laughs> and so it can take some time to get familiar with what it means for the mind to be aware and simply receiving. Oh, what, what is the mind actually paying attention to? You know, what is, what is actually the... Because attention, attention is a factor of mind that is amenable either to our conscious control or it's... When we're not consciously choosing what to pay attention to, 
the attention, the mindfulness will pay attention, will, will decide what to pay attention to. Our, our proclivities will decide what to pay attention to. And this is often what happens when we get lost in thought. You know, our mind has picked something else and we've not been aware of it and whew, we've gone off. So learning how to um, be in that place where we're not directing the attention, it's a, it's a new skill, basically. And so it, it feels a little bit uncomfortable at first. And I just ask that you keep playing with it and keep trusting that if you are, it does, it can shade. I mean, there are times, especially in that where you're playing with making the, the period of checking in longer, um, it sounds like you were, you were, it was a skillful thing to back off of the, mm-hmm. you know, the every five seconds or so because it sounds like it was getting in the way of just being with it. But that's where we have to start getting that sense of what does it mean for the mindfulness to get wobbly. Mm. And when we're not as clear about what the mindfulness is, it's harder to know when it gets wobbly. And so it's like we, we play with it. We just explore, experiment. And that question, am I really aware? Actually, if you're asking yourself the question, you're aware. If you're even asking yourself the question, you're, you're aware. And in that place, you don't have to clearly know what it is, but just like, yeah, I guess I'm aware. I'm, I'm, I don't clearly recognize what that awareness is. Again, partly because you're not choosing, not, not directing. But slowly over time, in just checking it, okay, am I aware? Getting familiar with that, getting familiar with that space of I'm aware the mind begins to start to recognize awareness as its own experience. And then there's much less of that confusion at that question. But it can take some time yeah. to get there. One thing I'm going to try that made me think is like, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty sure what non-awareness feels like. Because I'll be like, when I go on a soliloquy or something, I'll be like, where'd my awareness go? Because like, it'll, be, it'll feel like, whoa, it just went out the door. Exactly. And I, I know that, like, I wasn't aware. I was like nuts right there. Yes. And then the... <clears throat> and so that, that point when you wake up yeah. and you remember, right there, noticing that moment, how awareness is back. That's how it feels. That's how it feels. Yeah. And then the other thing is, aside from the directing and that stress, that, you know, that effort that says, oh, I'm aware because I'm doing this, the other one is a noting. That's my practice habit because I'll be like, oh, looking, listening. And that will just happen. But then I notice it doesn't allow me to kind of feel into whatever I'm aware of a little bit more. So there's a cost to that, too. Yeah. But that's a little bit more of a practice habit. And I'll be last, just wondering where you think. It, it kind of feels like I'm putting my attention on the breath. And the noting also feels like there's this extra strain that it's like a cost that I'm not able to feel. I'm not able to be with whatever I'm aware of because I'm labeling it. Well, there, there, the, the habit of the labeling can slightly remove you from it. It also can really allow you to connect. But, you know, so just noticing what's happening. And if that's, again, if it's, if it's simply happening, yeah. just notice, oh, actually, that's what's happening right now. Okay. And sometimes what we think of as the habit of labeling mm-hmm. is... Um, Actually, the process of perception at work. So as we recognize our experience, as we go through our day, our minds have a process by which it recognizes 
chair, floor, wall, ceiling, light, people. And the more um, settled the mind gets, the more we actually recognize that process of perception at work. And it, sa- it seems like a labeling. It, it very much seems like a labeling. You know, you're, you're quietly sitting there and there's a sound that, goes, that happens, you know, and the mind goes car, or the mind sees an image of a car, or, you know, just, yeah, just various things that, that kind of seem like labeling or noting, but it's actually partly the process, the, a natural process of recognizing experience. And so check in and see, are you doing any of the activity of the noting? Um, you know, the habit of noting can just carry on, and that will, when we stop actually practicing or pushing into that or doing that, it will begin to fall away. But then at the same time, as the mindfulness gets stronger, you'll start to notice this actual other process happening. It seems very like noting, but it's more spontaneous, yeah. Yeah. Um, And last one, and then we'll do another sitting. Uh, so I ask myself, am I aware? And, somet- and the answer is always yes, because by asking the question, it's like, oh, I'm here. And then I don't always know what it is I'm aware of. Yes. So that is also a phenomenon that happens. Uh, so first of all, I'll just address one, one thing that sometimes people say is like, well, when I ask myself the question, I know I'm aware, so why bother asking the question? You know, so sometimes people, people say that. And what I say to that is that it begins to highlight for us the factor of awareness itself. To ask the question and check in, am I aware? It is what helps us begin to recognize awareness itself. If we didn't ask that question and just went right to, oh, I'm aware of sight, I'm aware of body sensation, we wouldn't actually be stepping back and recognizing, oh, okay, yeah, I am aware. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm aware. So that's just that, you're point it made me think of that so um and then when we know we're aware sometimes there is this space where we're clear we know we're aware but what we're aware of is much less clear that's okay just know that you're aware just hang out in that space of awareness of just knowing yep okay yep i'm aware of what no idea i'm aware yep i'm i'm aware of what not sure i'm aware i'm aware of what a sound. And so at some point there will be something clear. Sometimes the, the reason why what we're aware of is not so obvious to us is because it's one of those very diffuse objects. It's, it's like, you know, the, the mind is kind of in a space of just kind of meeting a broader experience. And it's not something we're familiar with. So sometimes when what's naturally being known is something we're not familiar with, we're not going to be able to recognize it at first. And so just staying there, just hanging out, just knowing that you're aware, just keep knowing. If you don't know what you're aware of, that's okay. Just, yep, aware. Yep, I know that. Okay, yep, I know that I'm aware. Oh, actually seeing. Aware if that's clear. You know, so you, you, you don't have to constantly be finding something that you're aware of. It's more like, it's kind of settle back and let the experiences of the objects come to you. And some of them will come to you and some of them will be a little more receding. 
you know, that they're harder to kind of connect with. So over time, the mind gets more and more familiar with the variety of experiences. And what I see, too, is happening as the, as the meditation deepens. It's like we keep hitting this terrain where we have no idea what we're paying attention to. So to start with, at the beginning, this, this practice of just being aware, it's like we're unfamiliar with a lot of the stuff that awareness naturally knows and so we begin to get familiar with it. But then as the mind, the mind settles down, as the mind actually moves into a more continuity of awareness, more settled states, the attention begins to pick up on different kinds of objects. And again, we enter into a space of, have no idea what the objects are, but I know I'm aware. And I found that happens in layers through the practice, as the practice gets deeper and deeper. And so there are periods of time, even after it's like things have been extremely clear for a while, suddenly it's like, I just have no clue what the mind knows, but I know that I'm aware. It's like, okay, I can know that I'm aware right now. And just be with that. And over time, the the mind will get more clear about what it is knowing. And uh, I don't know if this is a question exactly but um suppo- and i so one of the points of practice is to not be so reactive that's you know so um i would it, say that's the direction the practice goes and we cultivate that direction by getting to know the reactivity is so my okay so so there's i have an area that i that triggers me, and I know exactly what it is. You know this this area of uh, self doubt, or um, well, I, I guess I want the question is how do how do I stay with the um, and maybe I can't how do I stay with the um, reaction? Well, you've kind of answered. I, I think I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Never mind. So, you know, it, it just, just to restate, if there's a strong reaction that pulls us out of the present moment, you know, if it takes us into the rabbit hole, let it go and put your attention on something else. Over time, your mind develops the capacity to be with those reactions. I just remembered what the question is. So, so if I, I have it, something triggers me and... Um, it, it's not so much about uh, there's the reaction, but supposing that what triggers me is unpleasant, but it's actually true. I mean, <laughs> does, is this making sense? It's like not, it, it is just a thought, but it, it's something that, you know, like if one leg is shorter than another, that's real. And so this happens to be an emotional issue, but it it could be a true thing, which I still have to... Um, come to grips with somehow. Yes, and but that's it doesn't the, mean it's not true. Well, that's the piece that we that we have to to work with the rub. In fact, I think a lot of our reactivity comes around truth. I mean, in particular, you know, impermanent, <laughs> unreliable. Oh, we don't like that so much, you know, and and so noticing the reactivity and wrecking, okay, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. And, and yet there are a lot of times that what we think this is the way it is is more of a belief than a truth. And so really needing to be clear about that piece. 
Um, but there, there are definitely truths that we react to. And the learning is not to either dismiss the truth or to uh, feel like I shouldn't be reacting. You know, it's like, okay, you know, this reaction, this is what's happening. Can I get to know that reaction? And it's, it's in relationship to that truth. It's like not wanting that truth to be true, basically. And it's like that is a, a recipe for, for suffering when we don't want what's true to be true. And this is what's possible with our practice, to begin to open to what's actually true and not be reactive. But the pathway to it is noticing the reactions. And what we see, actually, what we start to see is like, okay, there's this truth, and here's the reaction. And what we recognize is that, well, while the truth perhaps is some kind of suffering, you know, the truth is some kind of suffering, uh, some kind of unpleasantness perhaps, um, the reaction to it multiplies the suffering. And the reaction to it is not actually supporting our ability to take care of ourselves. We may think it is, because habitually, you know, oh, if I don't like this, if I figure out how to get rid of this or change it, or it's like we think we're taking care of ourselves. But actually, the more we can be non-reactive to the truth, the more responsive our minds can be to supporting ourselves to live with that truth. So let's let's sit. I'll just do the briefest of guideds.